Welcome to Talking Property, where you get the inside information into what's going on in the Australian and Asian property markets from leading property and investment experts. Welcome to Australian Property Journal's Talking Property Podcast. I'm Nelson Yap, the editor and publisher of APJ. My guest today is Max Cap Group's Victorian State Director, Johnny Woodhouse. Welcome, Johnny, to Australian Property Journal's Talking Property Podcast. Uh, tell us a bit about yourself and your role at MaxCap. I'm the State Director for MaxCap here in Victoria. We run the book down here on the investment side. Uh, we have a large book lending to all types of borrowers across the commercial real estate spectrum. And this is the base for MaxCap, founded by uh, Bray Sokolsky and Wayne Lasky back in 2007. Now, you were looking at, obviously, in Victoria, um, the main issue right now is residential development, um, particularly in apartments. Uh, unit sales have been subdued in the past, I would say, what, three to six months. Um, what's driving that or what's behind that? Good question. It's a, it's probably a few things that mm. have been at play in the market over the last, yeah, as you say, three to six months. Firstly, I think election, which obviously has now passed, but leading into any election, this is generally a, we've generally seen pauses in the residential sales across Australia, driven largely by a bit of uncertainty around what that's going to mean. I think in practice, our view is it probably won't mean anything. Uh, mm. The a lot of the tax incentives have been removed from the market down here a while ago anyway. But now that the election is settled, we've got a government, I think that's going to take some of the pressure off there. The second major one would be inflation, which isn't just affecting Australia. That's a global occurrence now, clearly. That's having a direct impact on, an, on a number of things, in particular for uh, you and me wanting to purchase uh, an apartment or house or block of land that's that really ties into interest rate pressure and what we're seeing the RBA do and a lot of the speculation around where interest rates are going I think if you're a, especially if you're a first home buyer you're not sure what that's going to mean for you in two months three months a year but so you've, there's been a bit of a pause as purchasers look to assess their position and potentially where the prices will come off mm. uh, I think some of those pressures, as I mentioned, are offset by a few things. Uh, we've seen strong house growth in Victoria over the last couple of years. And so that price differential between a, a detached home in the inner city or, or surrounding suburbs of Melbourne has gone up considerably. And so now the gap between what you are paying for a house in a, in a suburb where you want to live versus a quality apartment either in the city or in Fitzroy or South Yarra or something like that is is greater probably than it's ever been. And so the affordability of apartments is is something that will be really appealing. Uh, mm. In addition to that component, there's probably the, the COVID impact and reduced supply we've seen over the last couple of years. So we're a long way from... 2015 and multiple 600 apartment buildings going up along in, in the city in South Bank. Now, now the, the supply has moved probably to a more boutique offering anyway, but that's really dropped off. And so that's going to put a lot of pressure on supply and, and probably 
ensure prices don't drop. Um, and then I think the other one that will help with sales and help with the market generally is the borders reopening, also linked into COVID as we emerge from the lockdowns we've been in and travel starts to get back to a degree of uh, normality, we're, we're going to see some of the stimulus come in for uh, off-the-plan purchases of apartments that really has dried up over the last couple of years. Mm. But you touched upon um, inflation and interest rates. Obviously, that is now at the forefront of everyone, you know, the talking point. Um, there's speculation that interest rates, you know, depending on which economist you talk to, um, there's speculation that it could be uh, 2.5% or 3% or 1.6%. Uh, some are more conservative. Um, with this sort of, I suppose, speculation where interest rates are going, how will that impact the market um, going forward over the next 12 to 24 months? Yes, yeah, good question. I think well, fundamentally, if interest rates go up, that, that does impact your affordability. Mm. Looking at savings levels across Australia and, and in Victoria, they're, they're higher than they've ever been. So there isn't as much pressure on people's ability to uh, save money. They've already done it and they can already pay a deposit. But what they might not be able to do is, is service a level of debt that they could have two months ago. And going forward that'll that'll give pause around what you can what you can service moving forward and in terms of, you're right there are i'm not sure the banks are any of the major banks are predicting quite what what the market is pricing in in terms of yield no, curve they're a lot but, more conservative uh, yeah they are a lot more conservative i think and in that context if you just rewind a little over 24 months or a bit more than that now interest rate or your base rate in 2019 and right at the beginning of 2020 was that was about two percent. So I think it for people who have bought houses that that'll put some pressure on your your ability or the amount of disposable income you might have. But in many respects, what we're doing is seeing a return to normality in terms of interest rates. So I think while there might be a pause at the moment, we don't see it dampening appetite. Uh, in the in the medium term, absolutely. I think that's a, a great point that you made. There is the idea that uh, obviously people developed during COVID when interest rates were historically low. It's not going to be sustained forever <laughs> at zero point one percent. It just, it, it, you know, um, I, I didn't. I don't think it was eventually the Reserve Bank would have to return it to a normal level, and which is what I think they're heading towards. Um, now, looking at obviously uh, COVID, you know, impacted a lot on demand, particularly for apartments, because I suppose everyone wanted to go to somewhere uh, in the countryside or, or move up to Queensland uh, <laughs> where there yep. wasn't any lockdowns. Um, has that trend sort of reversed yet? Where, or, or do you see it reversing where eventually people are going to come back to living in inner city? Uh, you know, in, in apartments, not necessarily CBD apartments, but inner city uh, or gravitating back to apartments? Well, firstly, I do think there'll be a return to inner city apartments. I think there's mm. definitely a market for that. And, and that certainly correlates with borders opening and students returning to the market. So I think I think inner city apartments will rebound from, we'll sit, they're already well lit, well lit but mm. I think there'll be de demand returning for the purchase of inner city apartments. But a absolutely, we, uh, I, I think... 
there's been the, the, the you know the death of office and the death yes. of inner city and suburban offices is being greatly overstated. It's uh, we've seen strong absorption rates and A grade has been has rebounded really really strongly. And so the, the reality is people. I mean, it's a subjective discussion, of course, but I think yes. people they we are communal and we we are we 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 function better so in amongst our peers and mm. working in an environment we you're talking about our business the moment we were allowed back in my, my team returned to the office and the energy is better you you just you work better and yes there are commutes involved uh but i think i think we are seeing a return to uh to 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 people working in offices, it probably won't be, almost certainly won't be what it was, you know, five days a week. If you, if people need to be remote for a period that that gets accommodated now, and now we have the infrastructure that can, that can accommodate that. But I think there's definitely, I mean, we've run out of space at our office, Nelson, <laughs> and uh, taking a new lease uh, elsewhere in the city. Mm. I think, you know, as a small snapshot that speaks volumes to what, what, what we think is going to happen. You're right. It probably hasn't entirely happened yet. And some of those larger organizations that are a bit more institutional might take a little bit longer, but you can already see the sentiment from the leaders in a lot of those businesses wanting, wanting people to return. MaxCap Group is one of Australia's leading commercial real estate financiers. Since inception in 2007, they have originated and managed $14.5 billion across more than 490 investments spanning all real estate sectors and across the full capital stack. Mm. And that's, uh, I think, going back to demand, um, we've had you know a reduced demand obviously due to COVID and you, as you brought up before borders are reopening we've got labour shortages so um, you know there's pressure on the government to accelerate the uh, uh, you know migration skilled migration and bring skilled labour back into the market and then you've got also now the university have reopened and and students so no doubt that will feed in or, or it will result in higher demand for housing uh, or in Australia or in Melbourne particularly. Definitely, definitely, especially mm. with the strong uh, education sector here as universities return to, you know, hopefully, I've used this word a few times, but some level of normality and, and business as usual. Mm. Now, looking at, um, obviously, residential development still, uh, the main issue right now, uh, I think, in construction is the um, supply chain. Um rising costs, uh, building materials costs. Mm -hmm. um, what are you seeing happening in the Victorian uh, construction industry? Yeah, it's an interesting one, Nelson. It's, um, and again, there's pressures on both sides here. The, the, the cost thing is real. And if we step back, margins for builders are always relatively tight. And so it's something that everybody is paying a lot of attention to at the moment, especially when you see yeah, a tier one builder, and, and I don't think it was because of its, I'm, I'm certain it wasn't because of its Victorian business, but mm. like pro build going under and a couple of other notable names. So with the cost increases, and there's labor to add to that as well, to your earlier point around workforce, you, you know, there's, mm. there's, there's upward pressures on, on a number of components for the, in the building industry at the moment. And so you are seeing elements of higher, 
contract prices, uh, but there's only there's a there's not a huge amount of room to move on those, uh, especially with interest rates rising as well for developers who have, they're the ones who have taken a site and de-risked it and secured permits and secured a level of sales in order to get it to construction ready. Uh, so we're also seeing discussion of rise and fall contracts. I think that's going to be really interesting as it plays out. That it, it almost certainly means if you're seeking a what what you might call a traditional funding structure, that, that there's not going to be much flexibility in terms of a, a, a regulated lender looking at a rise and fall contract. They're going to have they're going to price in the whole thing. I think if you go to probably a non-bank market, then there's an opportunity to have a bit more of a nuanced discussion around how you could potentially address a contract that's structured that way, but it definitely makes the process more uh, intensive and a lot more due diligence around around both your sponsor but also your builder. Um, on the flip side is with that relative um, reduction in supply that we've seen, builders they still need to manage their forward book. So there's still a, a pretty strong level of competition. So it, it will be really interesting to see how it plays out in terms of whether they're able to, to increase contract prices when, there are, uh, when there's another four or five builders that are looking to secure the same job. Mm -hmm. So for builders and in particular anyone in the construction industry, what are the challenges to the uh, you know, fixed price contracts? right now uh, with you know costs now rising all the time um how do builders or how do developers manage that fixed price contract only to you know to find out that oh actually now that um you know the, the laminated woods have uh, or timber have uh, have increased by 38% since that contract was um signed so how do you how do you manage that challenge well i mean if you <laughs> If you've got a fixed price contract and, and you haven't let a trade and, it, and that price comes in a lot higher, the risk still mm. falls to a builder. What, what we don't want to see is builders going under. Mm. I think, well, first of all, if you've, if you've negotiated a rise and fall contract that can accommodate some movement like that and you've got a financier that has been able to get its head around it or, a, or you've got a fully funded uh, feasibility, I think that does provide flex on, on where, where you're not in that situation that it either falls to well the builder has to wear it or you've got to sit around the table and work out what you can do if a if a project isn't uh or is well progressed and is rel is largely de-risked on, on the funding side you've got you've got your your five percent contingency which can be tapped into you may have a developer but i think stepping back i know probably what i should have let off with is you've got to mm. let those trades as quickly as you can uh and be as proactive as possible about securing materials. And I mean, there's a lot of analysis being undertaken on that side uh, before a project starts around what the strategy is there to, to lock away those higher risk uh, contracts so that you can minimize, I suppose, the unpredictability of, uh, of the market that we're in at the moment. Hmm. And you touched on um, ProBuild. Uh, obviously, their projects were taken. Uh, over by Roberts Co, majority of them in Victoria. Yes. Um, so what does that mean? It, it, it sh what's showing is that that whilst there was a pro-build collapse, that there was another builder ready to step in. So the projects do still make sense, don't they? 
Well, I think that's right. And mm. I, we, I think we need to take a hat off to serendipity a little bit here with uh, Roberts Co. It's probably not that often you're going to get a uh, family-owned business that previously owned one of the other tier one uh, yes, builders they did. in Australia. Looking, yeah, mm. yeah that's right, mm. looking to move, establish a foothold in the Victorian market. Uh, that that's not going to happen very often. But mm. in terms of those, to, to your point, I mean, the short answer is yes. I think, I mean, I'm not across the detail around uh, each of the contracts, but the, those were locked away in, in, a, in a matter of two weeks. Uh, yes, they did. So, yeah. Yeah, which is, to your point, yeah, I think the, 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 the transactions still stack up and it's probably a testament to the quality of the, build team on the ground here in terms of the some of those points that I mentioned before around making sure those key trades were let and so there was enough certainty in there for Roberts Co to come in and take good contracts for good clients on good developments and then uh, deliver on time mm. and uh, I want to now look at um, one of the things that I think in Victoria or particularly in Melbourne that's happening a lot is asset repositioning uh, and value add opportunities. Yeah. Um, talk to us about that. I mean, you've got offices um, in the CBD that are now have to compete with the as you ra- as you raised earlier. The A grade demand is increasing, but a lot of the uh, owners of the sort of lower tier grades, if they don't reposition their assets, they're now you know seeing that tenants want to move to greater quality or better space. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And we've seen that with with well through COVID and with the uh, vacancy rates increasing, a lot of tenants have taken advantage of that. Right. I think on the on the non-A grade assets, it, the, the, the landscape has a lot of well-located buildings that are, the reality is they are, they're a bit tired and they need a lot of work. And it, it, you know, during COVID would have been a good time, but now we're seeing a number of owners looking, when leases are coming up for expiry, they are looking to, take advantage of, and, and, and I think this is definitely a non-bank opportunity. It's There isn't yes. a lot of appetite in regulated banks to take leasing risk. But when you've got a, a changing demand in the market, tenants want quality accommodation. They want quality end-of-trip facilities and they want green uh, offerings when, for, the, for the buildings that they're moving into, both because there's a recognition that you need to be playing your part in, in that global economy, but also it makes it cheaper to lease an asset when it's more efficient uh, and green. So, and, and the corolla or the counter to that is some of the B-grade assets that you know, are, are in the market at the moment uh, in terms of funding, they're having to, they're leasing it well below market. What would we, we would con- traditionally consider market rates. So it's right. almost a, you, you almost have to do it at this point. And, there is good funding available for assets that have a manager who has engaged the right people to reposition it, and but to secure tenants who don't want to pre-lease two years in advance, which is the vast majority of the market. And if you've got funding in place that can accommodate significant capex work to either get yourself a neighbour's rating or improve your existing neighbour's rating and then run a measured appropriate marketing campaign to secure good tenants 
in in the city or as you say in in your in your Cremorne's or we're seeing Collingwood and Fitzroy's emerge as well and that's right then, yeah then then there's um there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity at the moment for that and that's where you have to be going if you want to be securing your tenant base definitely i think um the, the we saw that movement before covid um but it's been accelerated now that you know more people want quality space oh sorry more tenants want quality space um and with the return to work uh that we're seeing now um also i think uh in the past we 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 were fine with everyone working in a smaller space but now people want more space so the companies are taking larger footprints aren't they that's right absolutely mm-hmm. yeah and and I, it's i mean i to to labor the point a little bit it is it is really coming and on our side we've uh we've expanded our team so we've we've actually got a director now working exclu- primarily focused on funding this market just to ha- also to help landlords become aware that there is funding available to 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 enable uh the delivery of something that that the market wants maxcap group is one of australia's leading commercial real estate financiers since inception in 2007 they have originated and managed 14.5 billion dollars across more than 490 investments spanning all real estate sectors and across the full capital stack Oh, we've been, I think, covering that sort of thing with uh, the political uh, on the on this side, which is the I think uh, the Clean Energy Finance Corporation. Uh, that's, um, that's right. Yeah, with a lot of these works. Now, I'm still talking about Melbourne. Um, obviously, there's been activities in residential, commercial, industrial, um, retail. Can you share sort of? where activity is happening uh share uh, give a, give our listeners um sort of a, a view of where activity is happening across melbourne sure in terms what? of segments yes in terms of segments i should yeah, yeah. say yeah mm. uh the lazy answer is everywhere nelson uh <laughs> oh and that's a great thing about the commercial real estate market is that our, our developers aren't constrained to operate in one segment i think when there's pressure in one area you'll see smart sophisticated developers pivot towards you know other other locations and i i mean you, you mentioned industrial that that's not that's not news that's been very strong for a number of years now and, and that's not going to change and that's that's buying large sites and and we've seen some of the large car manufacturer sites be sold and be repositioned and lease very strongly in that sort of in that sub-institutional space you're you're seeing a number of uh properties that are being bought and subdivided and the the smaller owner occupier uh demand in industrial is very strong and on on the max cap side our our direct investment team has has, uh, operated at a high level uh in that space and done really well so it's been very successful for our business right uh we're, we're still seeing retail Retail non-discretionary continues to perform well, and I think you've seen a lot of repositioning of of assets there. Um, it's I, I think that's been relatively stable. Um, there's been, especially in Victoria, compared to probably the rest of the country, the investment in hotels has been uh, strong. I think what you're seeing is is fewer straight hotels being delivered, and you're seeing a lot more mixed use and 
we we in terms of the hotels that we've been funding through construction and some of the ones that we've provided term funding for post-completion, the occupancy rates and the bounce back has also been really strong there. And in terms of pivoting into the newer spaces, I think everybody's talked a lot about build to rent. And yes. it's, been, it's been a hot topic for a number of years. It's still a bit of a watch the space one from our perspective. There's been some large institutional, almost equity grade, significant purchases in and around Melbourne and, and those are starting to come through and we'll, we'll see how that plays. I think with the market dynamics, <laughs> traditional build to sell is probably going to experience a bounce back um, mm. with, a, with, with pricing there. And I think, let's be honest, most Australians, they, they still want to own, own a property, uh, but, but, but build to rent is definitely coming. Uh, and we are looking at a number of those opportunities more in the mid-market space, which probably doesn't fit the, um, I think what everyone envisaged about what build to rent had to be when it when it was being, well, it was emerging in Australia. But uh, for, for, especially for vertically integrated developers, you might have a builder arm and a leasing and a management side. You know, they're yes. able to get efficiencies out of that process to make it work. So that's mm. that's pretty exciting. And then lastly, we're also seeing a few or a number of, mixed-use developments or sole developments on the social and uh, affordable housing side because there's a, there's, it's no secret there's a significant undersupply of housing stock available for low-income uh, Australians. And mm. the big housing bill program from the Victorian government, I'm not 100% sure how much is being deployed to date, but there's... Of, of the several billion dollar commitment, but that is that's rolling out in a in a real way now, and you're seeing well capitalized uh, community housing providers purchase entire developments now of you know sixty seventy million dollars in in good locations for a chronic undersupply, and I think this that's only going to accelerate as we I think I think as we try to keep up with the demand there. So. If, I mean, that was a quick, broad brush, but we're seeing how, the answer is there's still a lot of activity. Mm. I think uh, touching on uh, the social and affordable housing side, there's obviously that we've had the election uh, that came and went and a new government got elected and they've, I think, promised uh, $10 billion, although I have to double check, I think it was $10 billion housing fund to um so all the state governments across australia plus now you've got the federal government who want to build uh or want to invest more in in social housing for frontline workers teachers all these people who are sort of being pushed out uh, because they can't get affordable housing mm -hmm. um so it's quite a, so an undersupply and plus now i think um the other side that we covered was the specialist disability accommodation under ndis so that's another one that's um, in short supply. Uh, it is in short accommodation. supply. Yeah, mm. yeah. And I think from so, a developer's perspective, well, and certainly also from a from a financier's, I I, mm. um, I I think those are they're good developments from a funder's perspective because you've got generally, as I say, well capitalized uh, operators, uh, yes. and they have access to though that funding that, we, that you just referred to. Um, mm. As you say, we'll see we'll see how the the federal government um, contribution materialises, but from a state perspective in Victoria, if it's a 
whether it's a grant from from the state or whether it's access to uh, treasury funding, the, the the capital that you have access to means that from a developer's perspective and a financier's perspective, you've got almost zero mm. uh, settlement risk, which takes away one of those one of the key risks, I suppose, and when you're assessing a development. Mm, mm, absolutely. And another one I'm sort of keenly watching is that air rights. Um, obviously, we saw recently vicinity centres uh, gain an approval to build. It's going to be the highest uh, or tallest building outside the CBD. I think it's 51 storeys above the Box Hill Shopping Centre. Yeah. And we've seen Coles Group do that too with number of the Coles uh, supermarkets in the inner city where they're building apartments in there. Are you seeing developers um, sort of target these types of, uh, you know, shopping centres or, or smaller shopping centres in the suburbs um, and, and in the inner city where there's a good size land where they're thinking, oh, well, with air rights, we can actually put, um, I don't know, <laughs> 60, 100 or so apartments up there. Absolutely, and mm. I, to, to your point, we, we've we have funded a couple of those, uh, right. and they've been yep. really successful. And it's a great outcome for for everyone involved when land is scarce to find mm. a to find a, a great large uh, footprint to develop to sorry to deliver uh, a good quality residential offering, and that, and that includes in some instances hotels as well. Mm. Um, and so we have seen those be. Really, really successful, and I think I mean some, a couple of them were probably impacted in terms of a sales perspective through COVID, but that's not unique to to those developments. But since we've emerged from lockdown, sales of completed stock have been uh, have been strong. So I think it is a great opportunity. We're also seeing it happen uh, with railway uh, stations yes. as well and, and locations. So I think there's a great opportunity for that. I did see, and we've seen it floated a couple of times. The one from the city through to the MCG. Uh, mm. That's almost the unicorn of of, of public space air rights developments. But <laughs> but put, putting that one to one side, I think the vicinity opportunity. That those are really it's a it's a smart use of space, and uh, and there's definitely market appetite. I mean, to have a quality apartment immediately above everything you could possibly need. So absolutely, yeah, yeah, that, that'll that'll continue. I think you're right. Now, I think coming back to build to rent, um, there's a lot of discussions. Obviously, we, we've been talking about it uh, with your other directors in other states too. Um, in in Victoria's sense, um, where do you think uh, activity will ha will, will happen? I, I've been talking to a number of uh, agents and developers, and it now seems like the build to rent. Uh, demand for built to rent is not just in the CBD; it's branching out into the inner city and middle ring suburbs. Um, so, do you have an idea, or when you talk to developers, where are they looking to target built to rent developments? Uh, I think, in terms of the developers that we talk to, mm. it's it's definitely the, those inner suburbs. I think that's mm -hmm. considered a much more from from their perspective in terms of the type of apartment and the type of development that they want to deliver. Uh, the demographic definitely supports those Kensington, which we've seen a lot of appetite for, yes. Collingwood, Fitzroy, South Yarra for quality developments with good offering for a 
rental market that wants to be in what it considers a prime location. And I think, again, rewinding a few years or comparing ourselves to those more established models in particular in the US and, and now in the UK, mm. uh, the way it seems to me to be emerging here is less of the, it's a, you're there for your entire life. You're going to take a five-year lease and that'll probably be extended as you as you move into each subsequent phase of your life. Mm. I think I think at the moment, the way it seems to be uh, shaping in, in Victoria is geared more towards those younger professionals who might be married. They, they might have a kid, but probably probably not. And generally speaking, though, if they want to preserve their disposable income, they're going to want to live in exactly where it is they want to live, which is, to, to repeat those suburbs, you know, your Fitzroy's and South Yarra's and, and that sort of location. So absolutely, in terms of the groups, we're still talking to developers who are doing them in, in the city or, or in South Bank, and those will make sense as well, but it's it's not just limited to to within the CVD. Mm. And I, I, I want to touch upon this, uh, a final one, um, which is the um, Apollo Global Asset Management and MaxCap. Um, what has that done? Sorry, what opportunities does that identify uh, with Apollo's involvement in, in MaxCap in Victoria or in Melbourne? Uh, that is a great question, and I'll try not to talk for too long when I answer <laughs> that one. I think fundamentally, I mean, the business spent a long time working out what type of partner it wanted to secure through through the process, and it, and I think they couldn't have done a better job in terms of identifying a like-minded, albeit enormous partner. Uh, so Apollo has is obviously a global business and, and coming with that a bunch of very very smart individuals who don't have commercial real estate experience in, in Australia and so they partner with us because we can deliver that but what it does mean is it means access to a, a multitude of capital sources when right. a business like Apollo owns insurance businesses in the United States and in Europe. And so when you've got a partner with businesses that are highly liquid and, and need to deploy their capital into a bunch of different spaces, that what it means for us in practice is where we've traditionally been almost primarily focused in well, tradition, originally residential construction, but that has expanded over recent years, but still... Mm -hmm majority construction what what it allows us to do is to operate across the entire spectrum nelson mm. it means it's, we're talking about the office offering now what we can offer is not just capital expenditure or construction funding to allow you to reposition a, a, a good office that's a bit tired but now we can offer you sustainable term funding that allows a two-year leasing program and right. uh, but has the couple with the sophistication to get its head around the pressures and the nuances that 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 enable develop us to work with our developers to let them deliver the best possible outcome for that for that particular site so what yeah as a, in the office space we're seeing it there's appetite at the front end on 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 land funding and we haven't talked about 
I mean, that's I was referring to acquisition sites for development, but there's also, yes. of course, we haven't really talked about land subdivision, which has probably never been stronger and has enjoyed a real sustained period of success, but it, it allows us to do that. We're talking about residual stock funding at the back end of projects, and we've seen just circling back to some of the slower sales that we've seen during construction, what we are seeing is sales at a steady rate for completed developments when purchasers can go in and buy something on 30, 60, 90 day terms. Yes. Um, but really, it, it just gives us an opportunity to be, to provide a solution to our clients in whatever commercial real estate segment they're looking to operate in and at a, at a because price does matter it, it allows us to be competitive and to to get it right mm. so it's really exciting for the business to have partnered with apollo um moving forward Fantastic. and we're just starting to see yeah we're just starting to see that come to fruition with the first mandates uh, rolling out now Hmm. Well, that's going to be interesting and definitely watch this space <laughs> for uh, MaxCap. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you very much for joining us for Australian Property Journal's Talking Property Podcast. Johnny, it was a pleasure to have you. Thanks, Nelson. It's been great to be here. Thank you.